The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon, and welcome to this exciting Authentic Living show today. The question we're going to be asking today first is, what makes people change? And, of course, the first question before that is, can people really change? Well, the answer is yes, but we've all heard about those road to Damascus changes that leave us scratching our heads and waiting for them to change back, right? Well, Bruce Grierson, author of the book uh, U-Turn, and which is all about these kinds of changes, is going to talk to us about the mystery of this kind of complete 180-degree shift in a person's consciousness. I read this wonderful article in the March 15, 2015 issue of Psychology Today entitled Eureka. It's all about aha moments, and uh, I knew I had to get him on the show. So this is one is going to be fascinating. You don't want to miss any part of it, and uh, so stay here for the whole show. Welcome, Bruce, to the Authentic Living Show. Andrea, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm excited about our talk today. I think I said to you before we started, we could probably talk for a couple of days about this stuff. It's so fascinating. So this thing of change is huge. People ask me all the time, you know, there's a joke in my field. I'm a psychotherapist, so there's a joke in my field. Well, you know, just can, uh, can somebody really change and, 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 and can a therapist really change and someone? And, and the answer is, well, yes, but uh, you know how uh, the ther- the person has really got to want to change, and then we add to that that you know how many therapists does it take to change uh, someone and with it, the, uh, change the light bulb? Excuse me, and the and right. the answer is uh, six, but the light bulbs really got to want to change. Right. So that whole idea is that you know do people really want to change, and what is it that motivates them to do that? So you've written the book U Turn, and also this article, and I'm sure several other articles about this whole thing of change, and we think that facts will change us. We sometimes think morality will change us, but these things don't often work. So talk to us a little bit about this whole idea of change and what it is that we, what, what, why we don't change when, when we mm, can. Yeah, and whether uh, wanting to change is enough and whether we consciously want to change or don't. Under- well, I, I will tell you um, what got me interested in, in the whole idea. I mean, you know, people have been interested in, um, insight and uh, epiphanies forever, you know, since Archimedes got his idea in the tub and, and, and uh, you, you know, it goes right back to, and, and then you mentioned uh, Saul on the road to Damascus, the, the big lightning bolt hitting, and the, and, and the question I guess everybody has is, you know, we all change, we all change, but we, most of us change in subtle little gradations, little course corrections, that take us from here to there over time in a, in, a, in a subtle way, and we don't notice it. The ones that I 
um, the ones that I was most interested in, and I thought uh, that, that sort of drove the U-turn book, were the were the ones that you hear about, where people sometimes even literally wake up in the middle of the night and they sort of smite their forehead and say, you know. I am living the wrong life. I am so on the wrong course, and I'm just now realizing it. And it hit me like a ton of bricks just now, and I, and I know I have to change. Is the, the suddenness and the emotionality of those kinds of moments that make people change their lives. Those are the ones I was interested in, um, in the sort of psychological machinery of that moment. And, uh, and that, that seems like a very different animal than the kind of the, the subtle course corrections that the rest of us make. You know, to have an, to have an epiphany like that about your life and, think, and, and to understand at some deep level that it's, it's not the life you ought to be or you should be or you're meant to be living and that you need to make a radical change. And in my book, I kind of categorically decided to study people who had not just changed a bit but had, but had pulled a full reversal uh, almost, uh, sort of uh, decided that going forward they would stand against the things that their life had been uh, had been for to that point. So almost like a yeah, uh, it was a U-turn is what it is what it is. So yeah, absolutely. Well, you said in your book you quoted William James uh, talking about the aha moments uh, of clarity with, that he talked about it, the varieties of religious experience. Mm-hmm. That he talked about it coming from the divided self. It's a, sla- a snap resolution. He said of the divided self. Can you talk a little bit about that divided self? Yeah, yeah. Well, William James, what's interesting about the, 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 uh, the kinds of epiphanies that I was interested in uh, is that they look a lot like, like they're quite different than the ones that I, I wrote about in, uh, in the Psychology Today piece, which are, like a lot of scientists are, are trying to figure out what happens when we have an aha moment, uh, like when we crack the nut of a puzzle or something, you know, we kind of get a creative solution. Um, and in a lot of those cases, it's a really cognitive uh, event. We, we just suddenly get, a, get an answer. But it's not necessarily an emotional event. Whereas what William James talked about uh, and what I talked about in the U-Turn book are, are deeply emotional moments that seem a lot like re- religious experiences, even if uh, they happen to people who are sort of secular people. You know, they don't... Uh, they don't necessarily have uh, have a, have a have a god in their life, but but it sure looks like um, like a like a divine moment for them. Uh, and so James talked about and one thing I like about the way James talks about this phenomenon is it it helps me understand a little bit why something that something can happen to you and I can be in a in a movie theater, sitting beside each other, watching something, and, and some trivial little thing will happen. Someone will, a character will say something, something, some little catalytic event will happen, and it will mean nothing t- to me, but it will mean everything to you, and mm-hmm. your life changes because of it, and mine doesn't. It doesn't even register. And I wondered, how can that happen that, uh, that, you know, that something triggers 
a massive event in one person and, and, and not another. And the way James talked about it was that we can sometimes feel like, he, he coined a phrase that I like to call a genuine choice. Sometimes we feel like life has asked us a question and the question has three components to it. Uh, and he, James said that the components are, that question is live, it's forced, and it's big. And he said the live component is about the question life just asked you, uh, hits you emotionally. It, it hits you like, as one, one person I talked to talked about, it, it, like a burning spear in the chest. That's the, the emotional impact of what just happened. The other, the second uh, component is this idea of it's forced, you can, meaning you can't duck it, it you can't uh, ignore it. It's coming at you and you have to face it. And the other one, the third dimension is that it's big. And big meaning it's a non-trivial um, question that life just asked you. It's not, it's not something you need to make a small adjustment to yourself, but it's something as big as, oh my gosh, I'm a soldier, but I'm a pacifist. What am I going to do now? Or, oh my gosh, I'm not a man, I'm a woman, right? It's that degree of, uh, of significance to you. So I, I think that if you have all those things in place, the question that life just asked you is, is live, it's live, it's forced, and it's big. If all those tumblers line up, I think then you're, uh, you're, you're set up to be very, very receptive to a big change. And you, you're like a piece of dry tinder that that spark is, that that is going to uh, set off. Whereas I may be, or the person sitting next to you who doesn't have all those tumblers in place, the same spark lands on them, but they're like a piece of wet wood and they don't ignite. It just doesn't affect them. And so I think that all of the, what I like the way William James sets up the idea of the conditions that need to be in place uh, for life to have given you a genuine, what you recognize as a genuine choice that you then have to feel like you may have to make. And that's the divided self. That's, that's what happens in a moment when you are one thing and a little event, a little spark sets you off. And after that, you are something else, and you're on an entirely different course, and your life just cleaved into a before and an after, and now you're on the other side, and you're a different person, and you have to live with the consequences of uh, what you just did and who you just became and what you're now committed to. As, um, it's a very powerful uh, event, and it doesn't just affect you. It affects everybody in your life who thought who had kind of invested in the person that they thought they knew yeah. have quite an effect on spouses and close friends too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I have definitely seen those kind of changes take place. You know, uh, I'm actually in my own life and in lives of, of people that I've worked with. Uh, you said in the book, without self-awareness, the gears of potential U-turn don't turn, even when we're wildly off track. So that piece seems to apply to what you just said, too, with regard to the wood that doesn't catch on fire. Is it possible that there's a lack of self-awareness there, or is, is, 
Is that what we mm-hmm. need to be looking for? I mean, you also mentioned that change is both internal and external, and there's a kind of synchronicity to the external pressures that match the internal energy, and it and they sort of coalesce. It's almost so. like you can almost think of it in terms of uh, chemistry or something. I guess certain chemicals have to be present for there to be a chemical reaction, you know, and a certain number of things have to be present in your life and you have to be, I I always wondered if there was a particular, like a particular kind of person who's predisposed to like, um, are there certain temperamental traits that uh, if we have them, we're predisposed to uh, be able to make these changes or want to make these changes in our life? Is it, is it, is it a personality profile that um, that makes us U-turners, and some people U-turners, and some people not. Some people changers, and some people stayers. Um, and I think that there is a personality dimension, certain qualities of openness, and the you know the big five character traits they talk about that uh, that do tip the balance a little bit uh, for some people. But I also think it's pretty circumstantial, um, in that y- you and I may be. Um, well, how to, how to say it. you? We may be in a position where we realize that our uh, we have the insight, the first component of it. Like we uh, understand that, gee, that this story of my life is not working for me. But I am so constrained by my circumstances that I can't afford to blow everything up and follow my bliss. I get it. I'm not. This, this, you know, my life's not working. I should feel like I want to change. But man, I'm I'm the sole breadwinner for this little family, and I can't be following my bliss, I, or you know, do, changing my job or changing my my life in a radical way because other people are depending on me. So circumstances do um, do constraints, and there's certain point, certain times of our life when yeah, we're just not as open, we're just not as able to make these kind of radical um, freeing changes uh, as, as, as at other times. And it's almost as if, I think at a psychological level, um, we, can, we suppress the kinds of changes we're not able to make right now. And then as soon as our, uh, maybe the, we launch the kids or we have more freedom or we can be a, uh, life can be about us uh, and without as many responsibilities for other people, then I think at some level the psychological machinery lets us then have the kinds of uh, <laughs> insights and courage and follow through that, that um, lets us make the changes we need to make then. Yeah, yeah. So there is that kind of internal, external sort of under the table shaking hands, <laughs> you know, that, that the, <laughs> I uh, there's so. the... I think it's, it, yeah, I think it's both, uh, you know... Um, Heeding the call and, and knowing when you can, uh, without too much destructiveness, uh, actually make make those changes and follow through on answer the call. I guess. Yeah. So um, you also talked, in, and I want to talk about the science uh, a little bit over the next in the next segment of the show. But I want to mm-hmm. talk about the cultural shift. You talked about whole cultures changing the same way people do, and I'm thinking about the recent shifts in thinking on gay rights as an example or how, I don't know whether you're aware as you're from Canada, how this past like three or four years there's just been this shift and it's been very quiet. It hasn't been, um, you know, this loud uh, thing that's been happening, although there's been stuff on the news about 
various court rulings and things like that about gay rights. But what's happening is there seems to be an, uh, a grassroots kind of a change of mind that's going on about that. And and the same thing is happening with this. Uh, a lot of people saying now that they're spiritual but not religious. And the mm-hmm. same thing is happening with Bruce Jenner, uh, you know, with with his big shift in his consciousness now, or, mm-hmm. or her consciousness now, actually, that uh, we're, you, you know, we're rethinking that whole thing. So would you talk just, I mean, we just have a few minutes before the break, but just a few minutes about this thing about cultural change. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I think that cultures can change. I, I mean, just the way people do, it's, it's often a, a it's, it's, it's much more common to have a, a, an evolution than a revolution, a slow adjustment, of course, uh, than it is uh, that some, uh, uh, you know, one big sudden revolutionary event, in, uh, and that's for individuals as well as cultures. But one thing I noticed in a lot of the, the U-turners that I studied, and there was dozens and dozens who I interviewed and, and hundreds and hundreds of stories I analyzed, was that one of the, the changes I saw was a shift um, from what I called a, and I think I might be stealing this term from Carol, Carol, Carol Gilligan, but it was a shift from the, an ethic of power to an ethic of care. It was a, instead of trying to sort of maximize uh, your power, which was, which was the, the first path you, that, that a lot of these people were on, how can I have more power? The shift then became... How can I? That 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 isn't a satisfying way to live. Uh, to to just sort of satisfy your own needs. What what's way, what's needed and and felt as as needed is a sense that gee, I'm I'm my brother's keeper. I'm my sister's keeper. I am, I need to uh, have a dimen- bigger dimension of service in my life rather than as sort of selfishly satisfying my needs. And so the shift to the ethic of care, which I saw on a per- on a personal level for so many of these. U-turners, especially men, I've got to say, because they had farther to go. Uh, women didn't um, had had a certain amount of the ethic of care there to begin with, so there wasn't a need to uh, correct as radically. Um, but I think that that's what you start to see in a whole culture is um, a sense of uh, a feeling of obligation to the least, you know, the least of these, uh, rather than. You, you know, I guess I, I guess a kind of a, a liberal uh, drift in in that sense of wanting to expand the circle of concern so that not a single living thing is excluded. You know, the expansion of the circle of care uh, and that that impulse to care for the people who can't can't care for themselves and to uh, you know to to uh, equalize the power. I guess that's what you could say is the um, part of the Occupy Wall Street was 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 about this this outrage that uh, there was that 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 there was such an imbalance in in power uh, you know, between the one percent and the ninety nine percent and that didn't seem right to so many people and yep. there was a, a a strong feeling that that needs to be uh, that needs to be corrected and a lot of the voices unheard voices need to be heard so. These uh, these sort of seismic movements can be felt across a whole culture. Yes, indeed. And we're going to take a break right now. We'll be back with more from Bruce Grierson right after this.
the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Why spiritual spelunking? Why tending to our inner garden? Why devoting time to inner being when so much external doing calls upon us? An Indian sage put it wisely, your own self-realization is the greatest service you can render the world. Join host Jeel Asselin as he serves as both guide and companion on the journey within. Nurturing the spiritual spelunker in all of us can be heard every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Are you just getting started on the path to metaphysical healing of yourself? Would you like to have some fun as you find out more? Join Julia Stubbe and Carol Lee Schloth each week as they guide you through the Energetic Toy Box. This show will gift you the basic foundation and tools as you discover your spiritual path on a deeper level, encouraging the exploration of many facets and concepts such as chakras, healing, meditation, crystals, and more, so that you can use these in your daily life. The Energetic Toy Box is here for you every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific on 7th Wave. Being Here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss Being Here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane, right here on the 7th Wave Network. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Seek greater awareness. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. 5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today to Bruce Grierson about how it is that people change and how that, and specifically how they suddenly change from one sort of identity to another. Um, and and uh, Bruce wrote an article in Psychology Today in the March 15th issue of this year uh, called Eureka, and it's all about those aha moments. I really would encourage you to read the article. It's an aha moment in itself. Um, but uh, you talked there, uh, Bruce, about Mark Beeman's work, and one of the things you said was that the conscious brain takes credit for a lot of the heavy lifting that's done behind the scenes and the unconscious. So can you talk a little bit about that whole thing, about what, what's really going on behind the scenes? Mm-hmm. Well, Mark uh, is an interesting guy. He, he was one of the first neuroscientists to identify... Um, see, what's interesting about the last decade or so is that uh, we, we've developed this technology to, to figure out, to, to scan brains in real time and kind of figure out what's actually going on when we're in certain uh, brain states and, and we know what parts of the brain are, are being 
activated and are, are, are active when we're thinking certain things. And so um, in Mark's lab, they were able to identify when people, or let me say, set up his experiments, people were asked to solve word problems and um, they were asked to, to, they were given certain words and asked, is there a common word that can pair up with each of these and, uh, and make, a, make something sensible? Make a make a make a link, make a pairing, and it's one of those brain teasers that you look at and you just uh, you can't quite get it, and then you do. You think, oh wait a sec, uh, okay, I've got the word that works that fills in the blank, and when you do, and it seems to come out, you know, when you get that, it seems to have come out of nowhere, and uh, so Mark gave. Uh, his test subjects, these word puzzles, and he had them, uh, their brains scanned as they, as they tried to figure it out. And what he found was is that there's a little spike of activity uh, that happens a half a second or a third of a second or so before you're actually consciously aware of getting the uh, solution. So there's a spike. So it's as if your brain gets it before you're, before you know it's got it, and and so that was uh, that was a, a fascinating finding that just sort of suggested that there's something going on that your subconscious brain's a little bit ahead of your your conscious brain there, and um, so we now think that there uh, there are sort of two modes that people that that our brains are in when we're working on solving riddles, and whether that means their brain teasers like word problems like that or, you know, bigger riddles like the riddles of, of our lives that are that seem to be stuck. So we, mar- we work away in what's, what's known as either a deliberate mode or, or, a spontaneous, or a spontaneous mode. And the deliberate mode is, you know, you're working out of the front brain and you're trying stuff and you're, you, you know, it's trial and error and you're working away, you're chipping away at a problem and you're very conscious of what you're doing. Um, and then there's, uh, there are times when your brain, those, part, those sort of uh, meaty, evolved front parts of the frontal cortex power down and you relax and you back off the problem. And, and that's when the sort of the spontaneous mode, you're, you're sort of functioning more in the spontaneous than the deliberate mode. And a lot of times it's after doing working, 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 trying to solve a problem and you back off and you take a shower or you, you go for a walk or you, you have a nap or something and your brain moves into the spontaneous mode and that's when you come up with your solution. And it's not like that the, the work that the front brain did is useless. It, it, it was as if the work that the front brain, that you've been doing kind of uh, seeded the garden there, and, uh, and, but it wasn't able to, make, to, to, to come up with the solution by itself. The more creative solutions tend to come out of the, out of the back uh, part of the brain, the, the, uh, the default, what they call the default mode of the, of the brain. And when you're relaxed, when you're not trying too hard, when, you're, when you look a little bit away from the dim star, that's Mark's metaphor, that's when you see it. If you're looking directly at it, you don't see it. So um, 
those the the two modes of thinking are both involved in, in coming up with a with a creative solution, but often it's when we back off of the uh, of of the hard work of, of deliberately trying that we get the, uh, the the answer that we're looking for. And sometimes, you know, often you and I will have had this experience. You we, we wake up in the morning and we have the answer to the problem that we went to to sleep with uh, the night before. It's an, and, and it's a subconscious brain that's working away uh, at, at, at the solution in a way that the conscious brain often doesn't seem to be able to quite get at. Uh, so you kind of need, you need both of those. The, um, some, some uh, creative workplaces know this uh, enough that they make sure that there's, you know, there are ping pong tables around and so people can take breaks and not think about the problems so much. The Pixar Studios in- installed a, a shower right in the middle of the work, uh, one of the main workspaces for the animators to, if they're having a, a problem cracking a nut, they go and uh, they're encouraged to go and have a, have a warm shower because that often does loosen up your th- loosen up your thinking. You know, it just uh, creates a relaxed space to let the uh, let the more spontaneous mode of the brain do its work. I think that is so fascinating because uh, one of the people that I study a lot is Carl Jung, and he talks about mm-hmm. the fact that everything that is in the un- everything that's in the conscious our consciousness today came first from the unconscious and mm-hmm. that's actually one of his definitions of the of, of the unconscious that is sort of the generator uh, of all that is in the conscious experience and and I and you've quoted lots of different you Colin Martindale and Marcus Raquel or if I'm saying his name right Reichel who uh Reichley, yeah yeah Reichley. okay so to to uh, that they've done these studies about the resting brain and saw that you know essentially there's all the work that's going on is going on in the in the back part of the brain and, and that flies in the face of the age of reason where <laughs> where we're taught that what we're supposed to do is think our way through things and and uh, and not really uh, pay much attention to the emotions which I, I'm figuring emotions have some say so in there as well. And it also flies in the face of our current, and at least in America, I'm not sure how it is in Canada, but our current educational system demands a constant focus so that our children who can't focus are given a label and sometimes given medication so that they can make sure that they can always be in focus, which may be robbing right. them of that opportunity to have that spontaneity you're talking about. Yeah, we've forgotten how the importance of play uh, in in learning and and being creative and yeah, you to, when yeah when we forget to take breaks and 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 we uh, structure our days around uh, maximal maximally efficient learning and stuff, we uh, we forget that a lot of the uh, a lot of the real learning, a lot of the real breakthroughs are done in the times in the the times we need to schedule to to, to back off. Of the of the hard effort and uh, and let the really powerful subconscious brain work. One of the things uh, I was fascinated with in researching this piece on uh, on aha moments is that there's a whole there's a group of um, researchers and, and a lot of them are in in China um, who who are putting their chips down on the idea that um, some of these the creative Solutions that we need in our in in 
in life now uh, just to just to, to, to solve the, the incredibly complex problems that we're all faced with. These things, we, we, they're too important to be left to uh, the whims of the spontaneous mode. Like, um, like they think that the deliberate mode has to be able to, we've got to figure out ways to give the deliberate mode uh, the work of solving creative problems. They think the deliberate mode's got to be able to do it all by itself um, because we can't all be, we can't be counted on to be kind of Mozart-like geniuses who get flashes of insight. There's got to be algorithms that we can put in place so that every one of us, you know, even the more sort of dogged uh, types can come up with Mozart-like solutions if we just think in a sequence um, of, of steps that will lead us to the same kind of insights. And so, yeah, they really, um, they, they believe, and a lot of them aren't psychologists, they're, they're computer scientists, and so that's their model of, let's, let's come up with algorithms of trying certain problems in every, every which possible way until we crack the nut, and let's not feel like we have to uh, leave it to, uh, to the spontaneous mode to come up with something or not. Let's, uh, let's, let's, let's bear down on all these problems and, uh, and solve them deliberately. And, you know, I mean, well, they're working on it. They're, they're, they think that's the way to go. Um, I, what I hear you saying, and I believe too, is that uh, that's... Um, maybe a little bit short-sighted and, 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 and it's not, uh, I, I'm just not sure that the deliberate mode is ever able to get to the places that the spontaneous mode is. And by bearing down consistently, uh, I'm not sure we're ever going to get to the places that we get to by backing off and letting the very powerful subconscious do the work. So, uh, <laughs> it's so it's interesting how um, different different strategies are tried at different times, and uh, we will see what uh, what kind of fruit those efforts bear. But I really think that there's lots of evidence that we need to uh, we need to relax, we need to play, we need to let the subconscious um, mind do its magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, and and I think you talk uh, in the article about uh, sort of a rhythm between the conscious and the unconscious mind, where the conscious mind presents the problem, and the con- unconscious mind—and these are my words for it—but you know, the con- unconscious mind then is allowed to take over and have its say, and then the uh, conscious mind comes back in to sort of edit or to 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 look at how to implement that kind of thing. Is that do I have that right? Mm-hmm. I think if you scan the brains of people uh, who are in a pretty creative mode, you'd find that uh, that that's that the activity is moving from front brain to back brain to front brain to back brain uh, with a fair amount of regularity. There because there are things that the front brain can do that the back can't. Uh, the, sort of the organizing um, and the editing and and the, those kind of important um, executive functions uh, are done up front, and then the some of the the, the connecting of the dots in a more la- uh, lateral way 
that's the work of the back brain, uh, and the front brain really can't do that stuff. And so they're complementary modes, and you're in one or the other. You can't be in both at the same time. And so, um, yeah, really, people who are really, uh, really highly, highly creative are they're switching from front to back to front to back. And now some, some scientists are studying ways to encourage, can we almost orchestrate that kind of movement um, in, a, in a sort of a way that will lead to the greatest likelihood of, of, of insight uh, happening. And so that's, yeah. so you're almost looking at yeah, brain activity as almost like a musical score or something. And, and we're wondering how we can, how we can increase the chances of, uh, of using this amazing piece of machinery uh, to, its, to its fullest potential. Yeah. Yeah, and the thing that I'm aware of with regard to music is that there's a pause between each note, and, and that, that little pause there might be significant. What happens in that little silence there mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, profound. there's as much music happening in, when there's no music. Yeah. Any, yeah, conductors will talk about it in those terms. Yep. Yeah, so intuition definitely factors into this. And I, I know that I've heard stories, I don't know whether these are really true or not, but I've heard stories that Einstein would tell himself to dream about a particular problem that he was having sometimes and then would wake up, of course, with the solution or something close to the solution to the problem that he was working on. And that that function of intuition is mysterious to us. Uh, it's 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 so basic that we can't even wrap words around it. Can you say a little bit about intuition and what what it is and what it isn't? Hmm. Yeah. Well, I guess we could say it depends on what your what what prism you see the world through. I mean, some people will take put a spiritual uh, um, cast on what intuition actually is. Is you're tapping into you know something higher than outside of yourself. Um, or, you know, scientists, uh, strictly secular scientists might say that intuition is just what we're talking about. It's letting, um, is, is backing off the deliberate, uh, you know, really super hyper-rational part of, the, part of our brains that, that are, uh, you know... That, that are where we are consciously most of the time, and letting the uh, the much more lateral, uh, intuitive, and 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 uh, dot connecting part of the back of of, of our subconscious do its work. It's it's like um, you know, there's much more, much more, much much more going on in the brain than we're even aware of, and we have to. Intuition is letting uh, letting the the parts of the brain know that who that know what's going on, letting them uh, come to the fore, and 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 sort of backing off the suppression of the the editor that uh, wants to, to to keep that stuff under wraps. Uh, it's 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 knowing it's giving voice to what the brain knows. I guess that that would be the scientific way to look at it, with with no need to bring in anything woo woo at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously, there's no way to satisfy that uh, that discrepancy. Experimentally, we, we're tapping into something outside us, or we're not, and we don't know. We we, we can't be sure which is, is the right answer to those things. Yeah, and and frankly, it doesn't matter. <laughs> no, you know what? You know, it, it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> it 
Yeah, it doesn't. I mean, if it, you get the you get the intuition, and if you can make use of it, then it's valuable. And if you don't, then well, it's it's kind of been paint thrown at the wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to be back in just a few minutes uh, to talk again to Bruce Grierson uh, about this whole thing. We're going to talk in the next segment about how we can actually sort of uh, push a little bit to see if we can get uh, the brain to go into the back brain or get into this rhythm between the back and the front brain. So you want to be here for that because this will be the how-to section. Uh, and we'll, so we'll be right back with Bruce Gerson in just a few minutes. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Could you be the next legendary leader? That question hinges on your courage and willingness to change. Join Maria Danley every week for Legendary Leaders Answering the Higher Calling. Be inspired by stories and legend and listen to legendary guests along with live channeling to help you answer your higher calling and become the legendary leader you are destined to be. The world is waiting for you. Step up and join the wave. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Are you ready to shift into higher consciousness? Are you ready for contact with beings from higher dimensions? Ancient and new spiritual technologies will help you take that evolutionary step. Find out more about this powerful shift when you tune in to Conscious Evolution Radio with Ann Gelsheimer. Let's help humanity evolve, bringing in the best possibilities and ideas that our world needs right now. Conscious Evolution Radio can be heard live every Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Inside Out is the voice of the inner revolution. Join host Beth Green and co-host James Maynard for a weekly program empowering humanity to change. We heal traumas getting in our way, see ourselves more clearly, overthrow stale and destructive personal and social traditions, explore a new liberating spirituality, meet guests who are challenging old ways, and join up with others who are changing themselves and our world. Listen for Inside Out. Live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1 866 472 5795. That's 1 866 472 5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We're back for this final segment. We're talking to Bruce Grierson, uh, author of two books and several articles, one of which was in the uh, March issue of Psychology Today entitled Eureka and about which we've spent some time talking today and we'll continue to talk some more. We want to get to the sort of how to 
if if you can call it that of of sort of pushing that pushing the mind to be able to have more aha moments and and get to those um, solutions that are truly novel. Um, but before we do that, I want to ask you, Bruce, if you will tell the listening audience a little bit about how they might make contact with you or see your webpage or things like that. Mm, okay, Andre. Well, the, the easiest way to, to find me uh, uh, in cyberspace is just by my name, BruceGrierson.com. Uh, That's a website and, uh, you know, anything, there's lots of an archive of my stuff and, and people can contact me that way if they, if they like. Thank you. All right, good. All right, so um, let's talk a little bit. We've talked already a little bit about the powering down, how people sort of move out of that front brain into the back brain by taking a shower or going for a walk. Or you also mentioned in the article a meditation is one of those mm-hmm. uh, really big things right now that people are paying attention to. And uh, so let's talk about, uh, you know, what else we can do to sort of push that um, that possibility in our brains. Mm-hmm. Well, there are lots of little interventions that people can do. And I think one of the main things is just see how, I mean, we all get kind of into ruts. We get into habits and ruts and uh, we have to because it, it helps organize our day and otherwise it's just too much, uh, too much for our brains to handle. We have to kind of create systems and routines. Um, but that also means that we can get, we get stuck in certain thought patterns. Uh, and so I think anything that mixes things up, uh, that, the, that, that, that anything that we kind of uh, can put in place to wrong foot, uh, this is going to be a crazy metaphor, but wrong foot our brains almost, and switch things, in, challenge our brains in a way that, uh, that uh, mix up the usual pattern. So people even talk about uh, switching, you know, moving to your non-dominant hand to eat or to 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 paint or whatever you do, anything that um, just just twist gives a quarter turn to to the to our to your usual uh, way of thinking about things. So um, even uh, exercise is something that just changes. It just excites the body in a in in a different way than it it is for most of most of the time. So often you, you hear about, um, you know, famous scientific breakthroughs that have happened following the scientists having gone for a run, like Alan Turing, who uh, created the Enigma uh, uh, code, or cracked the Enigma code, I should say, um, was a marathoner. And, uh, and he often claimed that he got uh, some of his best mathematical breakthroughs sort of at the you know mile 15 of his of his marathons and there are lots of stories like that of uh of people who needed to just get into that different mode excite different parts of their brain and power down in different ways to 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 think differently uh, so I, I think one of my my tips in the psychology today piece was yeah to, was break a sweat and see if it uh, see what happens after you do whether you uh, come up with some uh, whether you, that works to sort of incubate uh, solutions that you were uh, that you were working on whether it cracks the nut for you um, travel is another one and um, there's a, actually a really fascinating whole. Uh, research field called experimental travel, where um, they recommend that you not just go places in the usual way, but that you find um, 
you find ways to think about uh, travel in different ways. Like you, you will, you, you might. One guy recently, um, Will Self, he likes to walk into the inner city from the airport. Uh, so he'll land at JFK and he'll walk into Manhattan, and in that two or three hour walk. Uh, it's just not the way we usually travel. We usually get in, get in a taxi or a, and, and we zip from one place to another. We, we transport ourselves uh, and we're magically from here to here without any transitional time. And, and he thinks that, the, that moving at walking pace over a landscape for hours loosens us up, frees us up, and, uh, and just makes us think differently. And that's one way to... to possibly solve some of the problems we need solved. Travel differently, uh, however you can uh, frame that up, um, is, 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 and, and just being in a new landscape stimulates different parts of your brain and different senses and makes you feel much more sort of mindful of where you are. And that's uh, that can that can loosen things up uh, as well in terms of um, the insights that you need to be hatching. Uh, other things: um, listening to jokes, listening to Zen koans, and you know those those kind of those riddles that kind of don't make sense um, in a in a rational way, but they kind of do in a in a metaphorical way and. Anything that you can expose yourself to that challenges your your usual rational way of being in the world um, is a good is a good potential catalyst to having a, a neat idea. Whether that idea is a trivial one, that a little work thing that you're stuck on, or whether that idea is a big one about the the way that your whole life is stuck. Um, yeah, and, and you know, and the other one thing I, I encountered quite a bit is people who said that the catalyst for them to change was a particular person, somebody they met right when they needed to meet them. And that person could be somebody could be kind of your best self or your worst self, somebody you aspire to become or somebody you fear becoming. Mm-hmm. And if you meet a person who's one of the, one of, fulfills one of those two roles just when you need to meet them, um, that, can really, uh, that can really shake things up for you and, or, or, or conversely clarify the path you need to be on. So I would say um, being out in public and, and, and meeting as many people as you can, uh, you know, if these things happen on airplanes or getting out of your regular normal social circles and uh, meeting people not like you uh, can be a, a really interesting catalyst to, uh, to change if you're ready for it. Yeah, absolutely. So what you're saying is to put your mind, generally speaking, you're saying put your mind in a place of openness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Put your, yeah. Put, exactly. Not just your body in a new place, but, uh, but let your mind also be open. And let your, I guess to some degree, let your heart be open as well because oh, yeah. uh, all those things have to be um, stuck in an open position 
<clears throat> for yeah. you to really be receptive. Yeah. So I remember a time when I took a trip uh, just across the United States to visit uh, another place that I'd never been. And I had been encountering this boss that was really sort of gigantic and pretty, you know, what I would have considered to be pretty evil back then, you know, just just a hard person to get along with. And and from that place, I went camping in the woods at uh, Mount Olymp, uh, Mount Olympus, and uh, the the whole distance between us, I was able to sort of get this vision in my head that really he was really very small, and mm. that what went behind that, all the emotions that came with that thought, really changed me in a whole new way. And I came back and encountered him completely differently. Hmm. And you needed to be somewhere else to get that shift in perspective. You needed to go up to the balcony uh, to see that. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it, sort of a transcendent view. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I like what you said about the, the uh, Buddhist koans. You said that uh, you're not looking at it from the rational mind. Your mind can't figure it out, but your intuition sort of can grasp it if you can just sort of let it be. I think um, that when you... Yeah, carry on, Andrea. No, no, go ahead. You go ahead. No, or, um, no, what was I going to say about that? I think it's when you often hear about, uh, you know, stories of Buddhists who have, uh, or Buddhist monks who have moments of enlightenment, is that they've been thinking about this, these, these koans that really make no sense. And most of us would think about them for five seconds. Um, my grandfather actually had a few of these that he threw out. Um, one was, why do birds hum? And the answer is, the higher the fewer. I still don't understand it, but he, <laughs> he, he felt that it was profound, and he thought about it for his whole life. And, and, and monks will, will, will plant the seed of these koans, and, and then they will have, five years later, uh, a breakthrough where suddenly they, you know, it makes sense to them, and, and okay. they, they become a little more enlightened. And I call koans sort of slow-motion epiphany machines, if you oh, can yeah. stay with them. Yeah. Uh, some of them will never work for you, but uh, they're, just a, they're just a prime. They're a prime uh, that, that might work to, uh, to get things moving for you. Yeah, and you talk also about just being able to recognize, the way you said it in the article was recognize the hazy sense of, wait a minute, there's something here. And I think mm-hmm. that's so important. Well, that's your intuition, I think. And, it's, you know, there's a great line by uh, the writer Annie Lamott, and, and she says, your, uh, your body speaks to you in whispers, and if you ignore the whispers, it, it begins to shout. Yes. And I think a lot of this learning to be more intuitive is, is learning to heed, hear and then heed the whispers. Uh, you know, and, and so many of us, I don't know, partly because our lives are so busy and our circumstances are so constrained that we don't hear the whispers and we don't even hear the shouts. And if we do hear the shouts, uh, there's not much we can do about them. But being alive to the, 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 the faintest stirrings, I think that, that that's, that's a skill um, that can be developed and uh, uh, can, can help us correct correct our course uh, early enough to, 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 to save ourselves. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, it, it, you, when you get one of those, it, they're kind of like, uh, I find that they're kind of like dreams. Maybe it just tells my age, but I, they're a little bit like dreams because you can, you know how you wake up in the morning and you dr- you have this uh, notion for your dream and then just turn your head a little bit and it's gone. I and know. the same thing but can I think be that, true. That, again, that, there's another skill that can kind of be cultivated because um, if you just like if if you uh, keep a pad and paper beside your bed and the, and the first before the before that dream is gone you know the feeling of it the feeling of what you wake up with lingers and you can capture uh you can capture more and more of that as the more you the more you try i bet i bet if most people after 2 weeks of trying to write down their dreams immediately are get are pretty good at it uh-huh. Whereas initially it just went ran right through your fingers, um, but it's just you just work that little memory muscle of of, of hanging on to the thing before it uh, it foams away, yep. uh, and and I think you can, uh, you can you can actually get quite a bit better at that, and and that's how and just generally we can we can tune into what our bodies are telling us. Uh, it is a, it, to some degree I think it's a it's a learned a learned thing skill yeah yeah so so that what we're doing is kind of telling the brain that we're here for it we really want to listen to what it has to Mm -hmm. say so okay i'm ready bring it Mm -hmm. on all right well bruce um sad but true we have to end our conversation today i Mm -hmm. really have enjoyed talking with you and i know that our listening audience is going to be benefit from what you've had to say because Mm -hmm. this is the stuff of of really my uh, pleasure andrea thanks thanks for having me on Oh, I've so enjoyed it. And uh, so we're going to be back again next week with more from Authentic Living. You want to be here for, th- with, for that. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.